Good morning from the future. Well, it's the future of this podcast, but it's still your past. And it's my morning as this audio is imprinted on your brain. Uh, I need to tell you, we were exploring the forgotten dream storage. It's an interesting place there. It stores forgotten dreams. Which, now that I think about it, is probably pretty obvious. Um, anyway, uh, forgotten dreams are very useful in the various... Mm, projects that we do. The thing is that the place that we store these dreams, and it's very dark in these rooms, kind of like a photographic dark room, uh, because if any of these forgotten dreams are observed, they become remembered dreams and they're no longer contained in that storage. Well, at least until they're forgotten again and can be recaptured. Um, we can't use remembered dreams in our projects. Anyway, the point was, well, is to your ears, while we were here, we had some issues with the recording of Ken's audio. So I'm putting this here at the beginning of our podcast to let you know that the parts of his audio are not the best in some places. We did clean it up as best we could, scrubbing out the unearthly wailing, uh, and we do feel that it is good enough for you to listen to. Uh, we didn't want to scrub the whole show. Later on, um, we can talk about the time weevils that get into everything. For now, though, on with the show. Welcome to the uh, still untitled, well, no, like I said just a minute ago, but we're going to edit it out, so I have to repeat it again, still untitled is an actual podcast, uh, so we're not actually, uh, we don't actually have a title yet, discussed a couple of them, but we don't have one yet. Anyway, uh, my name is David Moore. And my name is Ken Newquist. We'll get and there. We are the co-hosts of the continually untitled uh, podcast that will have a name real soon now. Real soon. Future you will will know it. Past us does not. Anyway, our podcast is about various gaming uh, and geeky topics. We're uh, still settling into the format, but generally what we do is we'll talk about uh, what's gone on the past week uh, with each of us, and then we'll dive into a general topic, pick it apart. And once we get feedback, uh, which requires us to release these podcasts, we'll start adding that stuff in too. So... I'll go ahead and kick us off. Is that good? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So the past, this past week, so I've been working on a personal coding project called uh, that I have have the ultimately boring title of Campaign Mapper. And what I do, I'm a software developer. Normally, what I like to do is use that in gaming. And so I discovered that uh, there's a couple of ways to do things like Google-style maps using your own maps. And so what I'm trying to do is uh, build that together with um, a technology called uh, the, of Google's called Firestore that will allow people to upload their own maps, add markers to it, do other things like that, add in a timeline, starting at that base area and growing it from there as a way to kind of keep track of your own campaign maps your and the, the progress of your parties, et cetera. It works pretty well right now you should see uh duskfall seeing um, the map and pins yep so there's uh there's some maps with some pins and you can click over them um and it's got some some extra extra inform information um you can click on the map and get the latitude and longitude um you know so there's a uh, there's some good fences available and uh never dump a body um and there's some area that you can mark large areas as well. 
with more information. And the the goal is, and you can you can zoom in and out just like with Google Maps, uh, which is pretty nice. Um, and the idea will be so that as you're running a game, if something happens in a particular area of the world, I want to make it super easy for you to click on an area, add in a map a marker there, and maybe some some hashtag type stuff, and all of that goes in. And then you'll be able to query that stuff and we'll have a nice inter interface for bringing that stuff back up. And so that's, that is kind of the idea of what I would like to do with this. So it's still in its very early stages. Uh, as I said, it's got a really crappy name. Um, uh, very, very generic and boring. And there's a few other similar sort of things out there, but I think mine is unique enough that it'll kind of fit into its own little niche for gamers. That's campaign mapper right now. I'll, I'll, keep you guys up to date yeah i think that's really cool i know i was running a couple of months ago maybe it was a year ago at this point when i was running uh the dragon heist campaign you know it's set in Waterdeep, mm -hmm. which is this huge massive city of like what a hundred thousand people in the forgotten realms right and so one of the challenges that the players are running into they don't know really know anything about the forgotten realms and so part of running a game like that like the city should be a character right yeah like you should be experiencing the city and and all of its idiosyncrasies and you should be able to but in order to do that you have to kind of build up this mental image of the city right and i think when i've run urban games in my own game and like it was a homegrown town so we were all kind of building it together so when i say the strange quarter or the high quarter or whatever they well, know we all built that together so instantly what it is new yeah. campaign right yeah. so what i ended up doing was what you're doing but on with little sticky notes <laughs> so i went to staples and i got like these little arrows and so i had the physical map that comes with the game right and i laid it you know at the beginning of the campaign set i'd lay it out and every time something happened in the game i put a little sticker down so that they could say okay well this is where we got beat up by these guys right this is where we got lost in the sewers yeah right and so yep. i think it's important for to it, it can be very helpful to provide the players with that kind of content yeah and cool. <laughs> yeah and and something I hadn't mentioned but but you reminded me of it is the technology that I'm looking at right now that does this is when someone updates the map anyone who's looking at that same map immediately also sees the update so you know as a GM remotely in this time you mm. could have a similar thing and you put the sticky on there it's like okay this is where we had the fight and then everybody would see that but the other thing that could also happen is you know, there could be a player layer, you know, or an individual character layer so they could put their own markers on there for their own gotcha. reminders or other things like that of like, hey, I want to blow this building up later with Fireball because um, I didn't like the guys <laughs> there or other things like that. You know, reminders for them. Right. That that does remind me of a story from long ago days for, of my gaming. There's a guy I used to, to game with who every town we would go into he would go and find the orphanage and make a donation. And everybody was like, oh, that's really weird and seems slightly out of character for your marginally evil kind of character. Why, you know, and eventually we're like, why are you doing this? You know, this seems very out of character for you. And he's like, finally, I'm glad you guys asked. It's so that when we do something horrible in the town, or if we do something horrible, because we never we never actually did. But if there was anyone that would do it, it might have been him. And we have to get away. I was going to run past the orphanage because I would know where it is, and I would fireball it. 
so every orphanage that is despicably evil. Yes, yes. So his uh, theoretically altruistic donations to the orphanage was so that he knew where his target was if he had to get out of town quick and needed the authorities to stop chasing. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, my long running D and D campaign had an episode where we actually did do something horrible. Where uh, there was this one guy, and we thought we you know he we thought he was an enemy of the of the group, right? And so the Black Razor Guild is was chaos in, in incarnate, right? And so we were tracking this guy, and we found his like hotel room in the city, and we had a bag of beans, and so we were just trying to. It was like one of those frenemy type things, and like we were just trying to be like. Oh, we're, we're going to pull a prank on him, right? And so okay. we uh, we sneak into his room and we take like the, the potting soil and we set it up so that when he opens the door, a little bit of water is going to pour into the potting soil and the bean that we had put in there would sprout, right? And so we have the uh, Encyclopedia Arcana, Magica, the, the big four-volume set for all of the, the magic items, right? So we oh, from, uh, from like second well, edition? And so we rolled it and it caught Meteor Strikes the Place where you planted the bean oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> so this, we do this we back up to a safe distance and i wasn't dming it one of my friends was dming it he rolls on the chart and we all it was like all out in the open we're like oh oh no <laughs> and the meteor comes creeping <laughs> down and destroys the roaring lion in and then um chaos ensued as you know everyone's like well i feel like i have to report it to the city guard but if we report it to the city guard this greater evil will triumph because reasons so it was just another day in the life of the Black Razor Guild. Wow. <laughs> wow. We didn't blame it on the orphans, nor did we try to distract people by setting an orphanage on fire. <laughs> Second topic, uh, discovered a new, brand new podcast today. Uh, it'll be very old uh, by the time, well, hopefully not that old, by the time this comes out, called the D&D Dads Podcast with uh, Brennan Taylor and J.R. Blackwell. Evidently, they've been recording it over this past year, but have only started releasing episodes just now. They are they're defining what a D and D dad is because a D and D dad could be a man or a woman, and okay. you know, kind of the idea of what is a D and D dad. And so I've started listening to it today, and it was very it was definitely their intro podcast. I haven't got I don't I don't have a good concept of what content they want to talk about, but it seemed but they're both pretty awesome people. Uh, Brandon Taylor is a game designer. J.R. Blackwell is an awesome photographer and a game designer. Brandon probably does other things too, but that's all I know him from is the game design. And so they're both, they're both uh, pretty awesome people in the Philadelphia area. And so I look forward to more episodes of that. Very cool. I will add it to my queue. Yeah. The very long queue. If you're anything like me, I'm, I'm trying to get better. Yeah, I'm trying to get better. <laughs> yeah, I. So my next my next thing that I have been doing this this uh, week, however, is actually allowing me to get to get through that queue, which is I've been doing a lot more exercise daily. Almost every day, I've been doing about three walks a day: one in the morning after the early meeting at work, one at lunchtime, and then one uh, after work when the the sun has gone down a bit. And so it's about an hour worth of walking every day, and I actually broke into a jog yesterday, so maybe I'll I'll join you in the five five and ten Ks. I've been really enjoying it. It's uh, given me energy. It allows me time to clear my head. Mostly, I've been listening to to well. I I finished Patrick Rothfuss's um, Wise Man's Fear 
uh, this week and then listening to a bunch of music. And then this next week I'll probably be, uh, or later this week, I'll be listening to podcasts again uh, and clearing those out. But it gives me time to kind of think about other stuff instead of being in front of a computer all day. That's that. Uh, and then the last thing is uh, our Tales from the Loop game is still going. And the only reason I want to write it down here is because I want, because our last session for this arc is probably this Friday. So next time we meet, I'd like to get your review slash critique of Tales from the Loop and my GMing of it, uh, kind of going back to my Game Master sure. show days. Plus, cool. I've been, we had talked about Labs podcasts. I have not done as much gaming in the last few years. Um, so that might be another topic is how to get back into gaming <laughs> if you've stopped for a while. But that's basically my last week. How about Very you? Very cool. So, um, so my, my thing I've been doing right now is uh, trying to get caught up on my comic book reading. So it seems like we have a, a common theme of trying to get caught up on things. So at one point, <laughs> let me take a step back. Uh, I'm a huge X-Men nerd. I, uh, I, I love the X-Men. I've been reading them since I think I was a junior in high school. So that was like 1989, something like that. I just I completely fell in love with the X-Men. I have you can't see them in the in the game room right now, but there are many long boxes filled with <laughs> X-Men comic books. Um, and so, so a friend of mine at work, Erwin, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask, so my X-Men was one of my first comic books that I was reading. I didn't collect a whole lot, but the one series I, it started, I started reading slightly before it, but was the brood when the brood first showed up. But I think yes. that was, yes. I'm not sure when that was <laughs> honestly. So, but that's when I, think I, it was, that's um, when I started reading. I'm trying to remember because it's been a really long time. Uh, so I, I actually started reading classic X-Men, was the, which was the reprints. And then um, I got into it when like all of like the really kick-butt uh, comic book artists came into being and started we're drawing from Marvel. So cool. um, Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee and um, uh, Rob Liefeld, like that whole era of like the X-Men just went into overdrive. Um, but as that was happening, I was also collecting backwards. So I think I collected into like that brood era. So my, my cool. conception of when the storylines hit is still a little mixed up <laughs> because I was like forwards and backwards at the same time, right? Right. Um, but I had this friend at work named Erwin who uh, he and I are both... problem is we've both been back on it so far to actually really talk about the current storyline. So in theory, we should be able to just sit down and geek out about the, you know, the most recent release. But we can't do it because we're so far behind. <laughs> so he and I have spent the last two, like two years finally getting caught up on our comic books. And then I was just at the cusp. They just relaunched the whole X-Men universe with six new titles and a cohesive storyline and a, and a kind of cool mechanic for bringing back all of the dead characters and it was like this great baseline reboot and then because it was popular and because my comic book store was having trouble filling uh, like the orders uh i have i now have holes in my collection so like i couldn't i was finally caught up and i could not read my comic books because there were holes in the collection because i got like i got one i missed two and three and then i got four. Oh wow and so i'm trying to be you know, good you know support your local game store right and so I'm, I'm working with them to fill in the holes and then COVID hits Right. So Got it. now I'm like six months behind. But on plus side, I also subscribe to Marvel Unlimited, which is an app and a website where you can really read. It's got like something like 25,000 comic books, digital comic books that you can read. And it's always six months behind whatever the current print release is. Right. Ah, OK. And, because <laughs> they're finally releasing the comic books that I have that I'm missing from my collection. Right. Right. 
Yeah, I was wondering about the total holes. I was wondering about Marvel Unlimited in terms of how they didn't cannibalize their physical sales. So if they're six months behind, that they're not going to sell those comics from six months ago. So that that's a good idea. So right, and so they they do this thing where you can buy them. You can buy them digitally if you want, but they can only become free once six months have passed. So uh, I am dangerously close to actually truly being caught up and then <laughs> Erwin and I can together uh virtually and actually talk about the x-men which i mean honestly we i think we've been talking about doing this for five years <laughs> we can geek out about this stuff from years ago um like mutant massacre and uh and what have you or dark phoenix saga but you know we really want to talk about the current things and like we just continually prod each other it's like encouraging each other to exercise but what we're doing is no no dude like you got to get caught up you got to get cut off so we can finally talk about this right um so we are nice. we are so close i think like in another two weeks if i can just plow through these comic books i i will actually finally be caught up it, that makes me a very happy geek very cool very cool yeah if, if uh if you do get caught up and have that conversation uh you might want to have him over and and i'll just be a fly on the wall and and listen <laughs> I'm still an X-Men fan. I just have not have not collected any of the comics. I'm not I'm not a big comic book person normally like in terms of collecting. I if I get them, I will read them and I read them super fast. Uh which is part of the reason why I don't collect them is because the expense and how fast they go. I would rather I guess pick up a novel and and have that amount of time to to live in that novel's world. I will, but, uh, I will freely admit it's it's to a certain extent an inertia thing. Like in theory, it would be more practical to convert to, to graphic novels and just, especially the, with my reading patterns, right? That makes sense. You've been collecting yeah. comic books for as long as I, I've been trying to prune things back, but you know, it's, it's still, even though they've gone from like a dollar to like four dollars or five dollars for a comic book, you know, your your cost per hour of entertainment has gone up considerably. But I right. think the nostalgia factor is just strong with me. Yep. <laughs> Yep. No, I, I, I get it. Like if, like I said, if I get my hands on a comic, I will sit and read it. Um, I was very happy to see that my library carries a very large selection of graphic novels. And so I've, I had been going through those. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely, definitely still a fan, just not a collector. And I think that's where not to overly plug Marvel unlimited because it used to be a terrible app for a long time. That's, it's only like 10 bucks a month. You get uh, access to all these comic books and they don't take up any space. Right. That's how I've kind of been able to sustain my habit, narrowed it down to just the essential titles that I'm truly collecting as a collector. And then all of the tie-ins, I'm just going to wait six months. They're all going to show up there. Because when you have something like Secret Wars and it crosses over to like 150 titles or something ridiculous, or Civil War, right? It, it, it's literally like 90 books. <laughs> right. That's a lot. You're yeah. Not gonna, you can't collect all those. Right. It's not prudent. Right. So the other thing that happened this week was I, uh, I picked up the D&D Essentials podcast. Uh, you know, I don't know if uh, I'm, I'm holding it up so Dave can see it. Did I yep. see podcast? I meant the, the D&D Essentials kit, which yep. is a box, <laughs> not a podcast. Although I think they have some podcasts to talk about it, which, uh, again, things that make my geeky heart scream with joy are you know, the, the sound and smell of opening up a box set and having a, some dice rattling around in there is very cool. So I have a gazillion, well, maybe not a gazillion, I have a lot of like, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition books. And so the reason why I picked this up was because 
my son approached me earlier this week and said, Dad, I, I want to play D&D again. I'm really itching to play D&D. And I'm like, well, huh, okay. So let's think about this for a second. So as some backstory, I've been playing D&D with my son on and off for the last probably three years, I think. I'd have to go back to Nuketown and kind of like look through my posts to see when we actually started doing this. And it's, it's taken a couple of different forms. Within my gaming group, we had like once a month, we were getting together and playing D&D with all of the next generation we have also every weekend, every weekend, I wish every weekend, every <laughs> summer, uh, we get with some friends of ours and we go to a cabin in Vermont. And so uh, for the last three years, we've been playing D&D with them, and, cool. which is very cool, like very rustic. Like, you know, you're kind of hanging out and playing D&D by candlelight or uh, or just the light that's coming from windows because it, it, it's totally there's no electric lights. Uh, it's very nice. low tech. And so it's it's very, very cool. And so we were playing D&D with that and then when he brought it up again, well, I've been looking at the Essentials box set because they said really good word of mouth, especially the uh, Inter, which seems to be more oriented towards a number of short quests okay. leading up to the larger quest. That's cool. Yeah. Which I think, as opposed to like the, uh, I think, I think the original Essentials box set or the Murder Kit had the Minds of Fendel, I think was the name of the book, the, the module. And I think it's much more of a linear story. This one's more... I haven't actually read it yet, so I'm just going off of the reviews. I mm-hmm. This one feels a little bit more like Borderlands, but story. Okay. Because <laughs> I've run Keep of the Book for Lucas's Friends. and um, Where you can kind of go... It's kind of sandbox, and you can kind of go in multiple different directions. Yeah, so it's classic. You know, it's a first edition D- or ba- D&D basics at the original one from like the early 80s, right? And the, the challenge is, is that um there's no story hooks it's really just hey there are these minds of chaos over here where you want to go check them out and so Hmm. there's not a lot that's driving the kids forward to go and investigate interesting it feels like when when i play with the kids it feels like they kind of they're looking for those story hooks Mm -hmm. um whereas you know when i think my friends and i we would just go out and well yep clearly we're supposed to you know go fight the bad guys over there right right um and so i think having the story has helped push them along. So, and I also just wanted to check it out because I might, you know, write up a little review for Nuketown or something, or we gives us something to talk about. Right. And so the, the essentials box set comes with, uh, let's see, it comes with a set of dice. So I can actually, I can open it up. It comes with dice. So a set of translucent red dice. I haven't taken nice. Yet, so They're pre-inked. Them. No, no crayon needed. No crayon needed, which, you know, I do miss the crayon, but, <laughs> um, there's a series of cards which talk about uh, like uh, th- there's one for condition cards for like deafened, charmed, blinded. There's uh, initiative cards to keep track of whose initiative it currently is. Magic item cards that you can give out that are meant to be very user friendly. And I think this is useful because when you're DMing for new players, but especially when you're DMing for kids, they like having those things in front of them. Right, like they yeah. love having a character sheet, but I think it just—it's a little bit easier when you can give them spell cards or you can give them magic item cards or what have you. In addition, it has uh, the Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, which is the adventure, which again I haven't actually read through yet. Um, and then it has the Essentials Rule Book, which ha- I believe is actually like a collection of the printed rules, so it gives you what you need to create characters based on like the, the standard four archetypes of, I think, rogue, fighter, wizard, and cleric. Um, it gives you a whole bunch of blank character sheets and a nice little, nice little DM screen. 
Nice. Uh, yeah, you don't normally get a GM screen in in a in a starter kit. That's pretty neat. Yeah, exactly. And so compared to the original starter kit that they had released for fifth edition, that I don't remember if it actually even came with dice. I think it came with dice. It came with pre-gen characters already in the sheet, but it didn't have these magic item handouts. It didn't come with a set of the rules. It just mm-hmm. came with enough for you playing the game, but there weren't actual rules. They told you to go to the D&D Basic Rules website in order to actually go and download the, the rules. Oh, wow. Um, making this, I think the only thing that's missing from this that I have in like my own box set that I take to the, the cabin when we go is, is a battle map. Mm-hmm. Able to, you know, kind of, and a, and a wet erase marker, I think, would be if I'm going to add two more things to this and tokens, right? Like, like uh, character or monster tokens would be nice. Yeah, um, or like, that, like cardboard uh, standards, MS, even. Yeah. So, in my, I have, uh, I basically built my own starter kit for when I go to the cabin and I'm, I'm playing with the kids. And so, in that, I've cannibalized multiple starter kits. So, the Pathfinder starter kit, as a way of uh, differentiating, um, it did come with a bunch of monster tokens, oh, and cool. I already had like a Pathfinder flip map, a uh, battle map, and so I threw that in. And so those are the things that, like, truly, if you're going to play, those are useful. But you know, if you're if you're just starting out and you're kind of doing theater of the mind, it's not that essential. Mm-hmm. But the kids really do like having miniatures. I think it helps them visualize what's actually happening. Yep, or um, where people are, and and sometimes it's just right. the tactile feel of moving stuff as well. You know, we, right. we, we really, and gamers so, really like their dice. So they do really like their dice. They do really like their dice. And so, you know, looking at, looking back at like DMing. So I guess we started, when we started gaming with the kids, it was probably, they were probably around 11. Um, and my son is currently 14, just turned 14. And it's interesting to kind of compare and contrast what it was like to play D&D and role-playing games in general when I was a kid versus how they do it. Right. And, um, and, and especially how it's portrayed in media today. So, mm-hmm. uh, like on Stranger Things, uh, the first episode, I think, is them playing D&D, and it's a bunch of 11 year olds in their basement playing D&D for eight hours, which kind of does track to how I played D&D when I was a kid. You know, you get yep. together and you would just play until, you know, the sun went down, and then occasionally your parents would shut down and remind that you needed to eat or something. Right. Right. Um, and so I think, and this is not in any way a knock on the current generation, we just had different things that we were drawing upon. So we may have read Lord of the Rings. Um, maybe we saw Conan the Barbarian, mm-hmm. or Lady Hawk. Um, we didn't have a lot of like cultural touchstones to go back to. Maybe you saw the animated Hobbit, right? Um, right, right. Whereas when you're playing with kids today, at least, and, and I was playing with both boys and girls, and I would say that the experience was pretty much the same. Um, there, there wasn't a real difference in how they were reacting to things. Their touchstones are different. Their touchstones, they've got the Lord of the Rings trilogy. They've got the Hobbit trilogy. They've mm-hmm. got... Harry Potter, Four, right? Uh, like Harry Potter, they've got all of the Marvel movies, some of which have fantastic elements to them, right? Right. Um, and so they've got like a gazillion video games, right? They've been playing Zelda since my son's been playing Zelda since he was like five, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Um, and so instead of the cultural touchstone of the Lord of the Rings, it's Link, right? And mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, or Horizon Zero Dawn, or or what have you, and they're trying to emulate those aspects of gaming. Uh, I found that their attention spans were shorter. Mm-hmm. You know, they were good to go for about an hour. Okay. Maybe an hour and a half. And they'd want to break. And then we'd get to back together again and we'd play for another hour. 
as they've gotten older, I think when they got to 12 and 13, you know, then we started playing for like, you know, three hours at a time. And I'm like, I'm the one who needs a break. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's been very interesting to see their approach to it. And now I think the point where we're at is my son really wants to play D&D and he wants to play D&D with his friends, but he doesn't want to be the dungeon master. He doesn't got want it. to be the game master. Yep. And so he and I have had a lot of conversations about this. And I think he want, he just he wants to play is what it comes down to. And he is not at the point where obviously you and I are, where game mastering is playing. Yes. I dare say occasionally it is the most fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's he, the most fun thing you can do in games. Yeah, he still sees it either as uh, I mean, I I remember when I was just getting into GMing, there were a couple of worries or fears that I had, one of which the most minor of which was this is a lot of work and right. you know pre- preparing and having everything ready you know it's like that was a lot to do that was kind of overshadowing what the real fear of mine was is what if I screw up and people don't like what I do you know like what if I don't what if my friends aren't entertained by the things that I have brought to the table as a player, you don't right. have that as much. You're one of several players, and if you aren't as fun, other people will be doing stuff as well. But as the GM, like all the focus of every player is on you, which can be pretty daunting, you know, when you when you're starting out, especially. Right. I think the other so the other phenomenon I've I've thought about, like just kind of comparing and contrasting the generations, is that if you look at kind of the history of D and D and kind of and how it rolled out. And my experience as a kid was primarily with Dungeons and Dragons. We didn't really. I played. I tried. I wanted to play Star Frontiers, but no one would ever play it with me. <laughs> Same. Um, yeah, you know, with D and D, like you know, you're looking at kind of how it got popular in the '70s and how it kind of took off in the '80s. It was the older kids that were playing it, right? Like they were playing it in college. Um, they were the kids in high school were playing it because it was the cool thing to do. We were kind of like the hangers on, right? So I can remember, like my friend's older brothers were playing D&D and like they just had these books scattered around the house and you would see these advanced D&D books and you're like, huh, that is cool. Yes. Like we want to play. You're like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was like, man, you're playing it. It must be, it must be worth playing. So there's a little bit of spite there, right? Well, if you're not going to play with me, we're going to go figure it out for ourselves. And now with my, Daughter's done a little bit of role playing, but um, there's not that same dynamic. I think with our kids right now, the ones who are playing D and D, they've been seeing us playing D and D for years. So we're kind of like the big brothers, right? And mm-hmm. they're wanting to have that experience with us and to share in this thing that we've been doing and clearly enjoying for decades. Right. Um, so it's a different dynamic, right? Like they want to. It's an opportunity to hang out with with dad and mom and play games. Right. Right. Which is not a thing. I would have growing up because my parents did not play D&D with me. Although my mom bought me the stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. Same here. I went to a summer camp one year. My roommate had Tunnels and Trolls, the box set for Tunnels and Trolls. And they didn't know the difference between that and D&D. And they're like, oh, yeah, you should look into that. And it turned out that at the end of every camp day, some of the counselors, you know, you could basically kind of do what you want. But some of the counselors would do run sort of, sort of different different events or different things to keep kids entertained and one of the guys there ran a D&D game a basic D&D game and that sort of combination is how I got into D&D and then my parents bought me the basic set when I got back but even though like my dad's into theater 
and uh and such you know it just that wasn't a thing for them to do you know that was that was a, a literal game right and they had more serious things for them to do whereas it's kind of it's right. different for us now um you know having grown up the entire time uh with with D and and other games it's definitely different than than when we were growing up that's for sure right we had i mean when we were i mean so my gaming group has been together for going on 25 years um and we've been playing almost weekly yep all that time yeah um, here and there but even when we were breaking that might be from month of the kind of the longest right so our kids grew up with them sitting on our laps you know when they're like a year old two years old yep and like they're reaching for the dice and we had to using like bigger dice so you know they couldn't choke on the 20 sider right right that, you know pro tip keep the small dice away from you know the children who can swallow yeah. them because um, you don't have to explain that to the doctor like you know what did, yeah. he, you know, what did he swallow uh, yeah why is there a d20 in this kid's d20 12 yep yeah uh, <laughs> when that started happening uh i was i was we were doing the game master show at the time and so uh we weren't always we were doing a lot more story type games and a lot of those games used d6s or whatever um but regardless what we did was uh aaron and i we went out and bought uh big foam d6s um so that when my kids would reach out and grab dice they would go for the big yellow dice not the small easily choked on dice right <laughs> and so it you know it was it was perfectly fine for them to pick it up and throw those and etc and and the the players around the table were understanding if a big foam d6 you know bounced across the table and knocked over a miniature or two uh that was okay but uh but yeah it's yeah it, it's interesting because um while we were the same you know aaron and i both gamed and we both had you know we had our games at our house and, and our kids were there. Um, my kids turned it more into video game players than role play game players. Um, when we go to cons, when we go to conventions like Gen Con or some other, other cons around us, um, they will play there. You know, they really like the West End game, Star Wars D6 system, and they really like playing that. But getting them interested in playing a game here at the house with just the family is uh it's just not a thing and i don't know why <laughs> so you know maybe it's that the attention <laughs> yeah i don't know I mean, issue my, or my something daughter, but... go ahead yeah, i don't know i mean it's just my, my daughter had some interest but i think ultimately she decided she liked uh video games uh better um and she's she has so many other things to do she's in band she's uh softball like she's just taking a slightly different slightly different path yep yep um yeah my my so my daughters me, are both in in color guard so that takes up a huge chunk of their time and they do show interest in gaming but just not with the family sometimes sort of thing so it's more of a it's a it's a different dynamic they don't want to game in front of their parents in fact like when we go to when we go to cons they'll game at a table of their own you know, uh, or a game of their own, and and they will be in games with us at a con. But I can tell the difference, like seeing them at a table with us, as opposed to a table 
even even though there are there are people my age and older at that table um it's not the age issue it's the fact that we're their parents and they just don't right open up as they do in front of uh other people you know they the 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 most memorable one that i saw was uh when my youngest uh got into an ATST um and started walking it backwards firing into a a huge group of stormtroopers after they had stolen the ATST um and she talks about that that story constantly um you know it's nice. <laughs> but you know and and i think the gms there will let them get away with more than i would as the dad um as well or maybe that's what they think so i don't know they enjoy gaming but yeah i i miss uh, we're, the reason why i'm saying this is cuz i miss not being able to game with them at home cuz i would really like to i think that would be a lot of fun but they just you know for whatever reason are not are not jazzed about it so i'm jealous yeah and we'll see we'll see how long it we'll see how long it lasts so um we've been to pax unplugged uh which is a big tabletop game convention in philadelphia oh that's near you. have you that's been to right. pax unplugged i have not i would love to go oh, no no i'm gonna keep <laughs> you mentioned philadelphia earlier in the podcast and for some reason yep. i had this mental image of you being down there but obviously you're far away from there yeah uh, but yes we're able to uh get down to Philly for PAX Unplugged. And it was cool because it's this huge, huge convention. And we did not send them off on their own to do it because I think at the time they were 12 and 13, so we weren't quite ready for them to do that. I think, yep. um, I think the next time, whenever we get to the point where we can have big conventions again, they'll be of an age where they'll probably want to go off and do it on them, do, themse- do it themselves. They were doing, but even there, they weren't necessarily playing. I think they played one D&D game like one of the two hour slots, but they mm-hmm. were, they were there playing exploding kittens and Pokemon and some other like tournament style games. Yep. Um, but I was hoping to take my son to our local gaming convention, but then COVID hit. And right. Unfortunately that has an option. Yeah. Um, same here. Yeah. Obviously. So um, we'll see. We'll see The Lucas is, uh, we're, we're looking to, to get a, a, maybe a weekly game going sometime this summer while we still have, um, Still have some summer before school gets back in session and see how it goes. It'll be another topic for a future show. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah. It'd be, uh, it'll be interesting to, to hear about, uh, you know, live vicariously through you perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of those other, uh, uh, parenting pro tips. Uh, if your kids are interested in hanging out with you, do uh, it, take them up on it. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Do it. Um, because at they some do point grow they will have cars really and they will fast. be driving and they will not want to hang out with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. My oldest is, uh, has just now really like, she wasn't super interested in driving. And then now that she's actually passed the, passed the thing, gotten her learner's permit and is starting to drive a little bit. She's getting that driving bug. They grow up really fast. <laughs> indeed. So. Indeed. Indeed. I don't have anything else right now. I'd like to get the kids into gaming here. Like if I have a multiplayer game on a video game, like split split screen or something like that, they are all in for it. Perhaps I'll talk about that at some point uh, about the different games, those kinds of games we play. We also, we do play some, um, some different games. I think we had talked about this. I don't remember it might've been, I think we, I mean, I think it was outside of the podcast, but we play a lot of board games together. Mm-hmm. Um, we were playing Roll for the Galaxy, which was a, is a really cool 
gazillion dice game. And I've thought about getting Gloomhaven, which, for those who don't know, is this ginormous uh, dungeon crawl style board game with a gazillion yep. pieces, and it's really expensive. Yep. Um, but you know, with with uh, we're we're about to come out of the stay at home orders. We're going to go to green, which means we can move about more, but still. Uh, out of an abundance, out of an abundance of caution, we are still kind of restricting our social contact, and so right. it would be an opportunity for my son and I and my daughter, if she wants to join us, and my wife, you know, <laughs> she might want to join us too. We'll see. Yep. Because um, it's a campaign style dungeon crawl where you set up the game, and, you know, it, you play against the game. You don't need to have a dungeon master. The, right. The game provides those kinds of mechanics, so it might provide a nice little outlet when we get into the fall and it becomes harder to get together with uh, with friends to meet play D D. Yeah, I I have a copy of Gloomhaven. Um have not been able to dig into it. Um I played a couple of games. <laughs> what I found was the best way to start getting into it is there's there's layers of systems in Gloomhaven. And there's like the dungeon crawl system, you know, where like here's your players, here's your characters, here's their abilities, here's the monsters, go at it. Pairing it down to just that made things go really well. Uh, I highly recommend getting up, getting one of the Gloomhaven helper apps instead of setting up all the, all the dials and, and other stuff like that. <laughs> all the fiddly bits. All the fiddly bits. <laughs> the fiddly bits are great, but it takes a long time to set up. One of the ways that I was able to get the, the kids to play the one session we did play, which was I set up everything in the, at the beginning um, so that when they got there, basically I could explain the game they picked their characters and we just started because setting it up can take an hour. Um, <laughs> you know, if you, if, especially if you're the only one doing it, I had played with some other friends of mine and we had a limited amount of time. And so rather than doing, Oh, you're traveling there, pull from this deck and find out what happens to you <laughs> on the way there. Um, oh, you're, you finished pull from the city deck to find out what event happened in this, when you get back to the city and sell your equipment or buy new equipment or do this. And, and there's a whole lot of other layers of systems, which is like, if you're playing a normal like D and D game, you know, it's like, well, it's, it, we're in, we're in town, the adventure just we're we're back in town. We're safe. Let's go shopping. And, and I'm sure you're, you've had this happen where it's like the entire, the entire game session just turns into a giant shopping spree you know, and go right. through and talk to people. Cause it's going to be fun in their own right, but right. Exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, so they even, so Gloomhaven even has that aspect of things as well. So if you're going to run it, I would definitely read everything first, but if you have any <laughs> players that might be, uh, shy of the game because of its hugeness, just pare it down to the dungeon crawl port portion of it. And it also shortens the length of time that the actual game, I mean, it's not a long game per session, but you can probably cut 20 to 30 minutes off of it if you don't do the road deck and the city deck and the, oh, let's make sure gotcha. we've got all our XP and everything else like that and just kind of do it as a yeah, it, fun, almost hero quest-like game. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I think, um, you know, one of the, the challenges, well, I have a, a friend who would kill me if he hears me actually talking about getting Gloomhaven because he's wanted to do it for years. Um, but the problem is that, you know, it's so complicated and it can do all of these things. It's like, well, geez, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to play a role-playing game because you're most of the way there, right? Yep. Except in this particular use case when we're basically, you know, if we, especially if 
you know, the outbreaks get worse and we go back into, you know, more strict stay at home orders, we're getting a little stir crazy. And so yep. having a thing that he and I could break out going into the fall and, you know, we take over the dining room table for a few weeks. Yep. Yep. It might be a nice thing. Yeah. <laughs> it might uh, be a worthwhile Gloom, investment. <laughs> Gloomhaven is a, a good sales tool for a gaming table where you can cover it up <laughs> in between sessions. Um, indeed so the dog or the cat doesn't doesn't destroy the setup um or a stray breeze um but also right. if you're interested though uh tabletop simulator a fan made gloomhaven in tabletop simulator and the people who make who created tabletop simulator have given basically has said yes if you want to play on tabletop simulator use this mod for tabletop simulator and kind of basically given them tacit approval of you know this is it's not licensed but it's okay to play it's, you know there's gotcha. a lot of things on tabletop simulator that are meant to get around copyright and this is something that that has been given permission so if you do that let me know and i will be i, I will play <laughs> so i would i would love I to keep play that in mind. Love the, it looks really it looks really cool it looks like a lot of fun you know, very much uh, in the the hex crawl old old school sort of spirit, the vibe that it gives off to me. Right, which is another reason why I've I've been sorely tempted by it. But pre COVID, they're just I couldn't I couldn't rationalize it enough. It's um, it's a hundred bucks. <laughs> it is. It's it's a it's a substantial and it, investment, and it's and it's a, a a legacy type game. So like. You can buy, and actually, this is what I did: is on. Uh, you can buy um, removable stickers, but normally the game comes with stickers that you place on the game board, which is like the map of the world uh, of like where you've been and and showing your progress through things. Um, and there's stickers that go on your characters' cards to improve them as you're as you're gaming um, and as your character levels up and things like that. Um, so it's, it's like basically meant to be played once right? and a hundred dollars to play a game once it is a ton of sessions. So it, you definitely have the, the fun to cost ratio is definitely in the fun side, but a hundred dollars up front seems like a lot. But then again, if you look at, you know, the, the main three D and D books is just about that much anyway, you know, uh, nowadays. Yeah, exactly. The other one would be Space Hulk. Um, if I could find a reprint of Space Hulk, I think he would enjoy that a lot. It's Just a lot thinking of, of games that are going to get us through the winter. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. You know what? Um, and and in fact, um, let's talk late. Let's talk after this uh, uh, about okay. Space Hulk. <laughs> so uh, I have it. Let me just put it that way. I think we should uh, go ahead and call it here for the week, and we'll talk about it later. Uh, we'll talk about uh things next week thanks again for joining us on this soon to be maybe we'll we'll put in the title of the podcast later in in some sort of bad dubbed voiceover um <laughs> of you know because you guys will know it we don't know it thanks again for joining us it's been a lot of fun uh hope you guys had fun and uh we will see you next week <laughs>